0: You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 8. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I'm sure that like me, uh, you've been blessed by Pastor Dean's leadership uh, through the sermon series called Certain. In times that are so uncertain, uh, we need more than ever to lean into God's word. We need more than ever to, by God's grace, hold to the unchanging truth, the unchanging bedrock truth of the Bible. And uh, through the course of this series, we've seen some incredibly encouraging truths from Romans 8. Our first week, we saw how much God loves us, and we saw that nothing can separate us from God's love. Last week, we talked about the, the glorious doctrine of adoption in Scripture, uh, that God takes us from being enemies under his wrath to being his children adopted into his forever family. Now Jesus has accomplished those things. He's accomplished our redemption, and there's a finished aspect to that work of Jesus. But this morning, we're going to look at the same chapter, and we're going to look at something else uh, that Jesus is actually still doing on our behalf. Uh, It's something he's constantly doing for his people. Uh, Recently, I read a story from last year about a Scottish man named Ken, who for 25 years has lived off the grid in the Scottish Highlands. Now, if you're a fan of the show Parks and Recreation, Ken will remind you of Ron Swanson, who's one of the greatest characters, I think, in sitcom history. Uh, and he, or I guess I should say mockumentary history, because that's what that show is. But uh, Ken is identified in many articles only as Ken, like he refused to give his last name which is so Ron Swanson, right? But each week, he would use his satellite beacon. He's out in the wilderness here in the Scottish Highlands. He had this satellite beacon, and he'd just push one button on it just to let his family know, I'm okay. I'm alive, I'm still kicking. Well, there was another button on that satellite beacon that he had to use last year. He turned 70, and he was feeling really bad. He was really sick, dizzy, and weak, and there's an SOS button on this beacon. And so he pushed that button. Well. He lives about 13 miles from the nearest town. It's called Fort William in Scotland. Nobody from Fort William got his message. Nobody in all of Scotland got his message. You know who picked up his message? Somebody in Houston, Texas, 4,500 miles away, uh, this, this organization that monitors frequencies uh, for these, just these sort of emergency distress signals. It was his only way to reach out for help. So these people in Texas got the message. They reach out across the world again to the Coast Guard in the UK and tell them, hey, there's this guy. We don't know what's wrong. We just got an SOS signal out in the middle of nowhere. So they send a helicopter out. This helicopter can't even get down to rescue Ken. They can't get to where he is. So they send in a mountain rescue team who goes in. They find Ken. He's in bad shape. They stretcher him out, put him on a helicopter, and take him to the hospital where he was taken care of. And according to the Telegraph newspaper, uh, he was in stable condition and being Ken, he quote, wants to be left alone. (laughs) How amazing is that? That an ocean and half a continent away, someone heard Ken's distress signal. They were listening, they were paying attention, specifically for, for this kind of signal. And not only that, they called out for help on Ken's behalf. They interceded for Ken. Interceding. Asking for help on our behalf is something that the Bible says Jesus does for us. Jesus the Son prays to God the Father for us. Can you believe that? And the place from which that intercession comes is far more amazing than being an ocean away. The intercession of Jesus comes from heaven itself. And it comes from the right hand of God the Father himself. Look at Romans 8 verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? seems like there's a lot of things against us right now, a lot of things coming against us as a nation and even our, a, a race of people around the world. But if God's for us, it doesn't matter what they are. He is omnipotent. He's holy. He has all power. And he, he loves you. You cannot be separated from His love. He did not even spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. Look how far He's gone to show His love. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. How will he not also with him grant us everything? In other words, God has gone to the farthest possible degree to show his love for you. So everything else is less than that. So why would he, having gone that far, why would he hold back other things that you need? Why would he hold back other blessings that he wants to give you? His love is is abundant, it's overflowing, and it's generous. Uh, Verse 33, Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. There's a lot of people that could accuse us of things in our lives, but there's only one whose accusation matters, God, the judge of all men. And yet, he's not, if you're a Christian, he's not condemning you, he's the one who's justified you, meaning he's made you righteous, he's declared you righteous in Christ. He expands on that. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. So he's not condemning you, he's the one who's provided your salvation. He died, but even more has been raised. And here's the point we're getting at this morning. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. He's at God's right hand. He's praying for you. This is our big idea this morning from this text and others that talk about this this doctrine. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father and and is interceding for Christians. Jesus is at God's right hand. He's praying for you. If you're a Christian, that should encourage you. If you've repented of your sin and placed faith in Jesus, then you're a Christian, and this is something that is certain for you. Jesus himself prays for you, and he does so from the ultimate place of power and authority, the right hand of God. In Scripture, the right hand is the, is the place of power and privilege and rule, and, and that the power of God flows through the right hand where Jesus is. Uh, that's where he went after he left this earth. So Jesus, we talk a lot about Jesus' life on earth, but sometimes we neglect this doctrine, that he had lived a perfect life, he died the death we deserved, he rose from the grave, but he also ascended into heaven. He's not still here on earth. He's gone to this place uh, of authority and victory and power and rule. But it's not just that he's at God's right hand. In Hebrews chapter 10, it tells us even more. It says that he's seated at God's right hand. Chapter 10, verse 11. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices, time after time, which can never take away sins. So he draws a contrast consistently in the book of Hebrews between Jesus' priesthood and the Old Testament priesthood, the, the sons of Aaron, the, the priests from the, the tribe of Levi and Israel. And he's showing here the difference here. Those priests in the Old Testament, day after day, year after year, they had to offer countless sacrifices. Why did they have to keep doing it? Because the book of Hebrews tells us the blood of bulls and goats does not remove sin. No animal sacrifice could take away our sin. Your life is much more valuable than an animal. That animal's death doesn't make you right with God. All those things we're doing was pointing ahead to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus would make. And that's the contrast he says here. But this man, Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus came, offered a sacrifice, being fully God, fully man. His sacrifice is of infinite value, and it can apply to us, since he's also a man. And he, die, he dies and rises again, and he has now sat down. You hear the completed aspect of that? I love verse 13. It says, he is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. Like, he's, he's not worried. <laughs> he's going to put his feet up. That's how complete his victory is. He's putting his feet up on his enemies. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. So there's a finished aspect to his work. He's at the right hand of God. He's seated. But there's also an ongoing work. Romans 8, 34 says he is now interceding for Christians. He's going to talk about that in the book of Hebrews multiple times as well. The word intercede in the original language in Romans 8, it's not like a calm suggestion. It's a strong appeal. Jesus is making a strong, powerful, uh, fully committed appeal to God the Father for you. One lexicon says that this word means to ask for something with urgency and intensity. He's fully committed to these prayers for you. He's all in 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 praying for you. In in fact, in Romans 8.27, so the same chapter we started, it says that the Holy Spirit also prays for you. And Paul Paul clarifies, he says that when we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit prays for us. So get this, two members of the Trinity, the Son and the Spirit, pray to the third member of the Trinity, the Father, for every Christian. All three members of the Holy Trinity are, are involved in praying for you. Two of them pray, one receives those prayers. And you know the Father is not ignoring prayers from the Son and the Spirit. I hope that's comforting and encouraging for you it is for me. You know, often, for, for me, and I think this is probably true of all of us, it, I don't know what to pray. I may not have the right words, may not know how to phrase it, or maybe I'm just overwhelmed emotionally. I don't know what to say in that moment. Often, I might wait until it's too late in the evening to pray. All right, I've been praying throughout the day, but my wife and I have a time of prayer, and so many times the Lord knows, and my wife knows, that I've trailed off. I just get tired Often prayer isn't my first response to a situation when it should be. But Jesus himself is praying for me, and he's praying for you. He is asking the Father to help you. Jesus is praying, and we know that he prays 100% according to God's will and God's word. So we know he's praying for things like your trust in the Lord in the midst of uncertain times, like the ones we're living in. We know he's praying for God to work good out of these things, for your sanctification and for his glory. Listen to what Louis Burkhoff says about Jesus' intercession. I love this quote. It is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us, even when we are negligent in our prayer life, that he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our minds and which we often neglect to include in our prayers, and that he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we are not even conscious and against the enemies which threaten us, though we do not notice it. He is praying that our faith may not cease, and that we may come out victoriously in the end. It's a glorious truth from Scripture that Jesus Himself is praying for you. And other Scriptures beyond Romans 8 give us more information on what it means that Jesus does that. So this morning I want you to see three quick truths about Jesus as our intercessor. First, Jesus prays for you as your great high priest. That's, that's the role that scripture talks about, especially in the book of Hebrews, out of which he is, intercedes for us. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, he says this, therefore, since we have a great high priest, there's that title for Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Remember, he's making a contrast between the old covenant priests, the descendants of Aaron and the priests from the, the tribe of Levi, the contrast between them and Jesus. Those guys had not passed through the heavens. They were mere men, uh, and they had sin of their own. They were priests for a certain time, then they died and had to be replaced. Jesus is our great high priest. He's come down from heaven to us from God, and now that he's won the victory, he's ascended back into heaven and is right next to God the Father interceding for us. That sets him apart. He is our great high priest. He's the Son of God himself. Let us, Because of that, verse 14, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Catch this glorious contrast here, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's passed down from the heavens to us and gone back up to the Father. He's high and exalted, yet he knows how to sympathize with your weaknesses because he went through every type of temptation. He endured every temptation. Now, It's important to understand what he means there. Like, for example, Jesus was not tempted uh, to use internet porn, but he was tempted to lust. You see what I mean? By every type, every category. He went through every type of sin that we might endure, and he went through it all the way to the end. So I would say that he had a harder road than we have because we often, you know, halfway through fall into sin. It's not as tough to to endure it as long uh, if you're not enduring it as long. So Jesus went through every type of sin, and he knows that struggle, So he's able to sympathize with you and thus help you with experiential knowledge. He's been through it. He's one who's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, because of these great truths, he's our high priest, he's passed through the heavens, he can sympathize with us. Because of that, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We can come straight to God's throne. Now listen to this in chapter 7 this contrast gets even greater verse 23 of chapter 7 now many have become levitical priests right? priests from the tribe of levi since they are prevented by death from remaining in office they would come they'd serve they'd die they had to be replaced not jesus but because he remains forever he holds his priesthood permanently the sermon series is called certain right there's a certainty there once you believe in jesus He's in that role for you. He's your high priest. He's your intercessor. And he's not leaving that role. He's not changing. You don't have to worry about that. But he, uh, verse 25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. There's that word intercession. again. we're going to come back to this first because it's so important for what we're talking about. Verse 26, for this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus is the only one throughout all of history who meets all of those requirements. He is our great high priest. And in that role, he prays for you. The Old Testament shows us that that the priesthood was there uh, to help relate God to men and represent men before God. There's sort of a go-between. And uh, under this Old Covenant system, uh, the Jews had first the tabernacle, which was basically like a portable, like a tent of, for worship. And then later they had the temple, uh, that, which was this amazing, beautiful structure where they'd worship the Lord. And in that, there were two main areas uh, in both of those structures. They had the holy place and the most holy place, also called the holy of holies. The, inside the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, God was essentially enthroned on top of that among his people. And only one person in the entire nation could go into that most holy place. And he could only do it once a year. It was the high priest. He would go in, well, before he went in, he would offer sacrifices for himself. And then he'd go in and offer uh, the sacrifice for the people. Again, all of those sacrifices are pointing to Jesus. They're pointing to the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. But, but Israel's relationship with God was, was sort of vicarious. It was lived out through this one guy who would go in, and he could only go in once a year. So the writer, writer of Hebrews is making a contrast for you and me. Jesus is our great high priest. He's enabled you to have access to God, to go straight to the throne of grace, to find help and mercy in time of need. That's what we have in Christ. I, I think sometimes we act like pastors sort of have the red phone to God, you know, I'm talking about the red phone, like during the Cold War, uh, U.S. presidents in the Oval Office had this legendary red phone in their desk that if there, there was like a nuclear crisis, they could pick it up and talk to the Kremlin in Moscow just to, you know, make sure that there's not any accidental strikes or millions of people don't die, you know, it's because of some kind of confusion. It was a direct line of communication between these two world superpowers. Sometimes I think that we sort of accidentally get this idea that pastors have like special access to God. Don't get me wrong, I love to pray for God's people. It's one of the most important things that I do as a pastor. But I don't, and Pastor Dean, Pastor Joe, our other staff members, we don't have any better access to God than any Christian does. Because if you're a Christian, you have the same great high priest who has made a way for you straight to God the Father, and he is there interceding for you. As a Christian, because of Jesus, you have access to God. You don't need a pastor or a priest or Mary or some other saint to mediate for you. Jesus is your mediator. He has made a way to God for you. In fact, Scripture says he's become the way to God for you. Jesus said himself, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you've trusted in him, he's made a way for you into God's presence. You have all sin removed. Because of Jesus' sacrifice. And you are clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ by faith. You are accepted and loved and held and cared for and listened to. And not only that, Jesus prays for you. As our high priest, Jesus has brought us from being enemies of God and under his just wrath for our sin. And we're now in actual relationship with him. John 5 says that we've crossed over from death to life. We are his family his children. Jesus is our intercessor, our great high priest. I think this naturally leads to the question, what kind of requests does Jesus pray for us? And in my mind, it goes pretty quickly to John 17. John 17 is often referred to in Scripture or by theologians as the high priestly prayer of Jesus, this role that we've been talking about. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus we have in the Gospels. I'd encourage you this week sometime, Sit down and read all of John 17. Now, I'm not saying that this prayer contains all the requests that Jesus prays for us in his role as our intercessor. I don't think we could say that from any passage. But I'm quite certain that this is a good indicator of the kinds of things he prays for us. He says a lot in the prayer. I don't have time to preach the whole text. But if you look closely in that text, there's five actual requests that Jesus asks of the Father. Five clear, please do this kind of things four of those five relate to us as he's praying for us verse 11 he prays that god would protect his people and he says protect them that they may be one as the father and the son are one there's a consistent theme of unity throughout the prayer verse 15 he clarifies he says i'm not praying that you'll take them out of the world but that you'll deliver them from the evil one reminds me of the lord's prayer lead us not into temptation deliver us from evil. And so he's praying that we would defeat temptation by God's power, that we'd be sanctified, set apart, walking in purity and holiness. The second request he makes uh, with regard to us is in verse 17. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth speaking to the Father. And so he's asking God to sa- sanctify means set apart, to set us apart as we dig into God's Word, as we come to know Him better, that, that that would be reflected in who we are. Sanctify them by the truth. That's a major request of Jesus. Third is in verse 21 of John 17, that all believers would be one with each other, there it is again, the unity, and one with the Father and the Son. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 24, is fourth request, he prays that the people the Father has given him would be with him where he is so that they would see his glory. He's praying that, that we'll go to heaven to be with him, and, he, and that's according to God's revealed will and word. We know that we, if we believe in Jesus, we have eternal life, we'll see God face to face. We'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. These are amazing, huge requests. And they are only possible because of the gospel. And they really help us get perspective, I think, on what our prayers should include. Jesus prays for you as your great high priest if you're a Christian. Our second truth about Jesus' intercession actually comes from that passage in John 17. I've just touched on it. Uh, As our high priest, Jesus unites us with the Father and with each other. That theme of unity. As our high priest, Jesus unites us with the Father. He's representing us to God and God to us. He's bringing us together because He's fully God and fully man. He can do that. And He's uniting us with each other. Because when we share a father, we are family. We're brothers and sisters. There's an amazing unity that we experience with each other and with God as a result of the gospel that Jesus talks about in this prayer. Just two verses from it, 17, verse 20 and 21. I pray not only for these, he's speaking of his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So that refers to all Christians. Because all of us have received the testimony of the gospel, the truth about Jesus' life and death and resurrection from the original eyewitnesses who wrote the gospels, who wrote uh, the, uh, uh, many of the epistles in scripture. And so uh, he's speaking of all of us. I pray for these, but those who will believe in me through their word. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us. <laughs> it's, it's all tied up together. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. There's a little missional aspect there as well, right? They see our unity with each other and with God, and the world believes that Jesus, uh, that that the Father sent the Son, and they're drawn to the gospel because of our love for one another. Uh, A few months ago, I was at a, a luncheon that was in honor of those who support people and families who deal with Alzheimer's. Uh, one of our great church members, an East Campus member, uh, he's involved in amazing work uh, helping people in, in that community in our area. Uh, and as I went, there was a lady who got up and, and spoke. Her name was Jody. And Jody shared her own story of caring for her husband, Fred, who had, who had Alzheimer's uh, for about two years until he died. And, and she said that sometimes Fred would ask 14 times a day which day it was. And, and she finally realized that it didn't matter he kept asking that and when she said this i wrote it down because it was so powerful she said eventually i stopped trying to bring fred to where i was i decided to stop and stay with him where he was what an amazing expression of love and that's a lot like what jesus did for us jesus didn't stay up in heaven demanding that we make our way back to him that's actually impossible Uh, Our sin means that we deserve death and, and the judgment of hell and are separated from God forever. But Jesus expressed his love by deciding to come and stay with us where we are, by deciding to come down to earth. That's what we mean by the incarnation. Jesus putting on human flesh, living a full and perfect human life, and then dying the death that we deserve to die, taking our punishment as a substitute, as a sacrifice. And then he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven where he's at the right hand of the Father and he's making a way for us to be unified again with God. And and he's actually still with us now because the Holy Spirit is God's presence living in us today. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer. In John 17, in terms that I can't even fully understand, Jesus prays that the unity that he and the Father share will be shared by us. Through Jesus we are reconciled to God and then with each other. A lot of people have felt very isolated during this pandemic. We call it self-isolation. But if you're a Christian, you are not alone. We might have to social distance for a while yet and wear these stupid masks. (laughs) But you are not alone. We've seen expressions on TV of commercials saying, hey, we're all in this together. But I really think it's true in the church. Jesus is with you wherever you go, and he is praying to the Father on your behalf. You're never alone because Jesus is with you. He's interceding for you. Plus, God has given us each other. We are family, and one of the major ways that we experience God's love is through each other. He shows us his love through actions that we do for each other. Uh, Church, we've got to step up to that calling. I've seen you do this in so many ways during this. Continue and press on The, the calling of bearing one another's burdens, rejoicing with those who rejoice, and weeping with those who weep. As our high priest, Jesus unites us with God and with each other. Finally, our third truth about Jesus' is intercession. If you have believed in Jesus, your salvation is certain because of his intercession. That's the name of our series. I want you to see how he specifically ties the certainty of our salvation to Jesus' role as intercessor. Back to Hebrews 7.25. Therefore... He is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. You see that? He saves us completely. There's a certainty to your salvation as you come to God through Christ. He's the only way to God. But it says since he always lives, he's not never going away, he's never dying. He he died once and he conquered death forever. He always lives to intercede for them. I think one aspect of that is the fact that Jesus is there before God's throne, and you could still see the, the holes from the nails in his hand and, and from his feet and the, the, the uh, piercing of his side. There's evidence of the sacrifice that He made for you. I think that's one aspect of his intercession for us. that that's our only hope, the sacrifice Jesus, the sacrifice he, that He made that provides righteousness for us. And that's never going away. He's never going away in that role. He's never abandoning us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So your salvation is certain in Him. Now look at John 10, verse 27. It will be on the screen. This is one of the most powerful passages in Scripture that talks about the eternal security of the believer. That if you've truly been saved, you never lose it. I think there are many people who have been confused and thought that they were saved or, or just repeated a prayer after somebody or, or were kind of coerced into doing something. I'm not talking about those people who didn't actually understand and believe the gospel for themselves. I'm saying that if you truly repent and believe and trust in Christ and become a Christian, you don't lose that. And I think this is one of the strongest passages that shows that. And it's tied to our unity with Jesus, as we've been seeing over and over again in these passages. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. He holds you, and he's going to double up on this. Listen, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There's that unity again. So he ties the assurance of our salvation to his unity with the Father, and thus our unity with the Father. And he's in that role as high priest interceding for you, showing the evidence of his sacrifice and guaranteeing You're standing before God forever. As your intercessor, Jesus keeps you. He saved you when you believed in him, and he keeps you. He preserves you in your salvation. That's good news. That's good news that we can't fall out of our salvation because of doing something stupid. That's good news for me. Your salvation wasn't dependent on you from the beginning, so why would it be dependent upon you now? If you couldn't get off the starting line of the Christian life through your own efforts, why would you think you could run the rest of the race that way? Paul actually rebukes believers in, in Galatia, in, in Galatians 3.3, 3, for er- erroneously thinking about this. He says, are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Jesus keeps you as your intercessor. Second, He sanctifies you. So He's done this work of saving you, but as we saw in John 17, he prays that God will sanctify us uh, by his truth. He's doing an ongoing work to make you like himself, to glorify himself through, through setting you apart. That's what sanctify means. Philippians 1, 1.6, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God does not fail to complete what he starts. And your sanctification, it doesn't save you, but it's evidence of your salvation. And Jesus is interceding for you, helping you to grow and to finish that race. And as you you continue to grow and become more like him, it's evidence of the salvation that that he's provided for you. So he's keeping you in it. He's sanctifying you, helping you press on in your faith. And lastly, as your intercessor, he helps you. That is very broad. (laughs) And that's a good thing. Hebrews said we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Whatever need, he's there to help. My sister, who serves as a missionary doctor in Malawi, in Africa, has told me of times where in front of her she had such a severe medical crisis that clearly she didn't have time to stop and say, hey, let's stop and take a moment and hold hands and kneel and pray or something like that. She didn't have time for that. In those moments, she just, and they even taught her in her missionary training to just say these quick prayers, Father, help. Help as she's working, trying to save somebody's life. That's what we're talking about here. That he's there listening, he's praying for you. The Holy Spirit prays when you don't know what to pray for. He's there to help and he is praying for your help, whatever you are in the midst of. I want to close with illustrations from from two contrasting stories. One that was very recent and one that's over 150 years old. The first was on TV about a week and a half ago. Chris Cuomo, who's a CNN host, uh, he was talking about the pandemic and our response to it and and trying to get people to to work together and, and to have kind of a unified spirit. And he said this, this is a direct quote, if you believe in one another and if you do the right thing for yourself and your community, things will get better in this country. You don't need help from above. It's within us. I think I get part of what he's saying. He's trying to say, let's, let's come together and be responsible and act selflessly and fight this thing. But what a tragic and arrogant and foolish way to say it. Seeking help from above does not exclude us being responsible and being faithful and selfless. They go hand in hand. Listen to this story from David McCullough's book, The Pioneers. He writes in this book about settlers in Ohio who helped slaves escape in the Underground Railroad. He shares the memory of Rufus Dawes, who was the grandson of a very influential early settler near Marietta, Ohio. Rufus Dawes would tell how as a boy visiting his grandfather's, grandfather's old stone house by the Ohio, he was awakened in the night by what he took to be the hoot of an owl. This followed by a similar, more distant, answering cry from the Virginia shore. Then came the splash of a boat leaving the riverbank. The boy climbed out of bed and went to the window. Can you imagine the middle of the night out in the wilderness? Child, he's looking out the window, and he can make this out. In the heavy darkness, he could make out the silhouette of two boats filled with silent people approaching shore in front of the house. When he went to his mother's room, he found her down on her knees before her window, praying. McCullough tells that story to illustrate the courage of settlers who rescued runaway slaves and transported them to slavery. But what stuck out to me was the fact that as this family did what they could to help those who were suffering from the brutality and injustice of slavery, they were seeking God's help in the middle of that moment. They were reaching out to Jesus, our intercessor, We do what God calls us to do. We work on behalf of the oppressed. We take care of our families and our responsibilities. We share the gospel. We serve in our church, but we bring all of it to Jesus because without Him, none of it will have any fruit or lasting impact. And we can come to Him with hope and certainty in our hearts and peace of mind because He is our great high priest. He too is praying to the Father for us. I hope this comforts and encourages you like it does me. Hold to your hope in Christ. The book of Hebrews says, hold fast your confession of faith in Him. All the garbage in the world that's going on right now does not shake His throne. None of this surprises Him. Jesus is in control. And the, writer, the writers of books and scripture, Paul wrote from prison, John wrote from exile on Patmos and foresaw crazy events in history and yet God gave them the faith and sustained them through these events. He is in control. He is with you. The Holy Spirit lives in Christians. Give your anxiety and worry to the Lord. Rest in the joy and hope of your salvation and ask the Lord to use you to minister to others around you who don't yet have this hope who need this hope in the middle of all that we're going through, who need to hear the gospel of salvation that has rescued you and me. And if that's you, if you've never given your life to Christ and received this hope, we would love for nothing more than to talk to you about that after our service. Our care team will be at the bottom of these stairs. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to explain how you can be forgiven of every sin, how you can be adopted into God's family, how you can know for sure that you'll be with Him forever, and how you can receive the amazing blessing of jesus himself praying for you let's pray together now father i thank you for these encouraging words from scripture these truths that we can found our lives on and know that we are on a steady foundation unshakable foundation jesus we thank you that you are our great high priest you've made a way you've become the way to god the father for us you've not left us alone you are with us. You are fully aware of what's going on in our lives, even better than we know. And you're praying to God the Father for us. God, that's a, a glorious, amazing reality. May we take comfort and encouragement and hope in it, and may we walk with with peace in our hearts. May we reject anxiety and worry. knowing that you're working good out of all things for those who love you and who are called according to your your purpose, knowing that you have placed us in these circumstances so that others will see our hope in you and see our unity and love for each other and be drawn to your gospel as a result. May you do that in our church, in us, this week. We praise you and thank you for the hope that you give us. Thank you for the salvation and redemption and intercession we have in Jesus. In his name, amen.